you know, publishing is straight up crapshoot. It really, really is. the New York Times and award-winning, best-selling uh, author of the Vanessa Michael Monroe series. I am here today with my good friend Steve Campbell for our special unnamed <laughs> Taylor Stevens Show podcast. Uh, you're coming uh, around. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're just listening to us for the first time today, this is kind of a running gag. But um, So we're here today. We're going to talk about um, some myths and misunderstandings about successful books in the publishing industry. And um, hopefully we're going to nail some questions that are often frequently asked or um, misperceptions that we sometimes see and see how far we get today. Okay, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the wonderful world of big-time publishing and, and how resources are allocated to books and, and what becomes of those books when resources are allocated. Uh, a lot of things that seem simple, but they're not all that simple. So right. let's let's dig into it. Um, okay. Your first book, The Informationist, was a New York Times bestselling book. Uh, you were chosen, so to speak, by the publisher as an it girl, almost, for the period of time in, in which that book was published. And I don't even remember what year it was. Probably five years ago, four years ago? I've lost track. 2011, whenever okay. that was. All right. But the publisher used their marketing muscle to get placement for you and interviews with you in national magazines and on television and all of this before the book was even published. And they had essentially decided that we're going to do everything in our power to make this book a success. Is, is, is that a true statement? Um, it's, I think it's partially true. Okay. Maybe they didn't uh, do everything in well, their power. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, first of all, I have to say, like, as a disclaimer, I was not privy to a lot of this, that stuff. So mm -hmm. I can only say based on how I understood it to be. So... Um, I don't want somebody coming at me and saying, you know, you said it was this way and it wasn't. Well, I'm doing the best I can okay. with, <laughs> with my, my knowledge base. Um, I, publishers often can tell more or less. Um, they, they, they have their catalogs coming out six to nine, sometimes 12 months in advance of the actual publication date. And they can kind of tell based on in-house excitement and um, other factors more or less how hot a book is going to be. It doesn't mean that they're always right, but they have a lot to, to gauge it by. And if they feel like they have a really hot book on their hands, they're going to do, they're going to throw a lot of resources at it. And so in, in my case, they felt like they had a really hot book on their hands and they did throw a lot of resources at it. It also somewhat helped that I had a very marketable backstory. Mm -hmm. um, and they, an attractive picture. Well, thank you. Um, and, and all of those things go into to the package of, you know, it's, it's media, it's marketing. They're, they're trying to sell the author and, and everything. But the thing is, is that a publisher can throw everything they have at a book. And if the book doesn't resonate with the reviewers, with interviewers, it, it's, they're not going to get what they want. So it, it, 
they can throw as much as they want in a book doesn't guarantee that it's going to take off. And there's just, there's, there's a lot that, a lot more that goes into it. And if you talk to anybody in publishing, they will readily admit they do not know what makes a book a bestseller. If they knew what made a book a bestseller, they would replicate those steps time after time after time, because there's not a lot of risk involved with buying bestsellers and selling bestsellers, but they'll often invest heavily in a book and then it flops. So it, it's not like the publisher says, we're going to throw a lot of money at this and then that makes a book. It helps. It absolutely helps. And I'm not belittling at all that all of this did go a long way towards getting the information is that kickstart, mm-hmm. but in and of itself, it won't do it for a book. And I don't mean to imply that The Informationist wasn't a great book. If anyone's listened to this podcast, they know what I think about the book, uh, about The Informationist and all of your books. So I, I didn't mean to oh, imply no, no, that. I didn't, but I it didn't does. Take it that way. I learned about your book, and don't ask me why I was reading Vogue magazine. I have no idea. But I read about <laughs> it in the Vogue magazine article. And I'm like, okay. I have to read this book. And yeah, so I went out and bought really the book, and it's like, this book is amazing. And so then I started telling my friends and et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, really, it was all because of that article and me telling my friends that your book was so successful. Well, thank you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, I, I don't have that many friends, so I the, can't the really reason. take much credit for that. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um, I wish you had millions of friends. Um, the re- no, the reason why I mentioned all of those facts, not because I felt that you were saying that about the informationist, but because I've seen that uh, sort of come up on forums mm-hmm. with uh, sort of in a sour grape sort of way saying, you know, um, oh, well, that book only became successful because, or my book failed because. And, um, you know, publishing is straight up crapshoot. It really, really is. And um, there's just no guarantee. And and I can't even tell you how many stories I've heard of authors who really, really have been screwed over by the publishing industry. And it's really difficult to say publishing industry because there is no the publishers. There are people inside the publishing industry who make decisions. And all it takes is a couple bad decisions to destroy an author's career. And unfortunately, not every editor is as ethical as they should be. Not every um, editing department is um, run as well as it should be. And ultimately, it's the bean counters who dictate a lot of the decisions that are made inside um, inside a publishing house. So even if everybody is on board and, and loves the author and supports the author, if the bean counters say nix, then nix. And um, so there are so many different things that can go wrong. And and it can be really easy for authors who've tried to succeed and haven't succeeded, or even for authors who know their stuff is good, and then they watch others just seem to to fly by them without any struggle. It can be really, really hard. I know from personal experience, it can be really, really hard. And the little, the little um, demons of jealousy and envy start seeping in, and it's really easy to turn around and point fingers and say, well, it's because of this and it's because Mm -hmm. of that. And so I just don't want people to think that, you know, if their book didn't succeed, it's because the publisher didn't put any effort into it or that if it does succeed, it's only because the publisher put effort into it. So that's why I mention it, just to dispel some of of the stuff that I've seen floating around. Fair enough. 
All right. So, but there are other things that come into play as well. Um, it, obviously, it's not just marketing budget. It's not just the quality of the book. Sometimes it's the release date of the book because uh, books only have a certain period of time before booksellers uh, give them less favorable placement or maybe start sending books back. And I don't know what that window is. Do you know? Do you have, do you have any sense of, of how long you have to, to generate? I think it's between 8 and 13 weeks. Okay. And if a book hasn't really taken off by then, it's probably dead as far as traditional publishing is concerned. Now with ebooks and the fact that, you know, the online retailers can keep books on their shelves indefinitely, that changes it a little bit. But for bookstores that actually have physical stock on their shelves, you don't have but eight to 13 weeks to move those copies or they're coming back. And the problem is that if the bookstore orders too many copies um, and they get sent back to the publisher, then the bookstore's own algorithms now say, well, that book didn't sell very well for us So because it met less than our expectations. So next time we're going to order even fewer of that, that author's books. And it can start what's known as the spiral of death, Um, which is why self-publishing can be such a godsend for some authors, because it allows them to uh, extend the shelf life of their books and to build their audience one one reader at a time without being dependent on some big, massive wave of publicity to, to boost their sales. Do you look at release dates and look at other books being released on or about that time? Uh, and, and say to yourself, this is good or this is bad? No, but I just don't have the time or the the brain bandwidth to even keep track of everything else that's coming out. I mean, I wouldn't even know where to start, but I know that publishers do mm-hmm. um, really try and keep track of what uh, the pub dates are for other big books. And if they feel that they're authors are being published on the same day as someone else that it's going to, it's like, you know, the movies, if, if two big, huge movies come out on the same weekend, then it cannibalizes sales one from the other. And, um, it can totally like wreck the, I guess the business plan or the financial Hmm. plan of that movie. And so I think publishers try if they can to keep an eye on stuff and they might reschedule things. But once that date gets etched, to a certain point, there's no going back. Okay, so you've got this 8 to 13 week window from a, I think most listeners would probably understand now that a great deal of the marketing for a book falls on the author, no matter how you're published now. Um, So do you as an author assume that I'm going to have to take a certain amount of my time for the next 8 to 13 weeks to help to promote the book? And, And do you schedule accordingly? You know, that's a really tough one. I think I probably should. Like, I know a lot of authors do book blogs and and such. And I just, you know, I got really lucky with The Informationist that there was just so much press and 
and stuff that I didn't have to actually do any planning. I just did what I was told mm-hmm. here, right? And answer these questions for these people, write this article for these people, you know, interview with these people. And so I didn't have to figure out what I was going to do. Um, now there's a lot less publicity, you know, the news media thrives on what's new. I'm not new anymore. Mm-hmm. So finding a new angle is it's just like my poor publicist. I feel so bad for her. She's like, keeps trying. And I'm like, it's not going to happen. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so I don't really do it. So there's going to be a little bit going on, uh, usually not in the weeks after, but in the weeks before writing blogs, Q and A's, um, just generally providing content to people who would like to help promote. But I think how it's ended up happening for me, and I don't, this is not due to a conscious decision. It's just due to limited mental bandwidth is, I do mine year-round by spending time with my readers and my listeners and trying to connect on a very real level and not just showing up in their face once a year or twice a year when I have a book that needs to be bought. That's an interesting point because I, I subscribe to a lot of author email lists, and the overwhelming majority send you alerts when new books come out, which is great because that's all I want from them. And for, for the most part, uh, there is, there's no sense of engagement. It's just, there's a sense of, Hey, you like my work and, and there's a new book out. Uh, and, and you're different and your relationship with readers is different. And that's something that you have made a conscious decision apparently a, a few years ago to cultivate. So a, why did you do it? And B, why do you keep doing it? Um, <laughs> Good questions. (laughs) Um, I started doing it, I suppose, because so many people wrote to me after the information is published, and it just didn't seem right to me that people would write heartfelt emails telling me how much they love my work and then to just not respond. That just seemed so rude. And so I, I've always responded to email. I still do. I'm not always able to respond to every email that I receive anymore, but if I can, I do. I don't have a secretary that answers email for me and signs my name at the bottom. If people hear from me and it has my name on it, I wrote that with my own little fingers. Um, you know why I keep doing it? Well, how disappointing. I don't want to disappoint my readers, and if I just sort of disappeared after, you know, starting this, that it would be a disappointment, I think, to a lot of people. I I write a lot of inspirational stuff, things that I've learned in my life, and and hardly a week goes by that I don't hear from somebody telling me how much they needed to hear that this week. Um, And so I think, in a way, it's, it's my way of giving back because I appreciate the support that I'm receiving so much. I know that Everybody has a limited amount of money that they can spend on books, and everybody has a limited amount of time that they can spend reading books. And I don't think anybody's buying my books just to do me a favor. I really do invest heavily in in providing the best entertainment that I can. But there may be times when somebody has a choice between me and another author, and because of that connection, they've chosen me to spend their time with. And I owe them for that. And I want to continue to give as much as I have to give back. And I, I also receive a lot of benefit from it. As an author, at least me being a, a perfectionist, I go through day after day of I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck. I suck. 
this is awful, this is awful, this is awful, this is awful, this is awful. And I go through so much self-doubt and um, hating on myself that to be able to hear from readers telling me how much they, they appreciated my email or appreciated hearing from me or encouraging me to keep going, um, that takes away a little bit of the suckiness. So it's, it's a two-way exchange. It's interesting. Uh, you and I have developed a friendship, and at, at times we will chat online, and I will say something, and you'll just be so appreciative. And when you first did it, I just assumed that, that it was a toss-off thing, that you were just being nice. And I have begun to learn that you're being serious, that as you just described, you know, sometimes you're sitting there beating yourself up because you can't get the right sentence or you, you know, whatever. It's, you're having a problem with something. And the act of someone telling you how much they enjoy your work turns everything around for a little period of time. And yeah, uh, when I realized really you were serious, it was, it was, it was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am. I don't take this for granted. I don't take my readers for granted. Um, I, I wish people knew how much I, I appreciate every, I appreciate that they like my stuff. It's, it's, it's an honor. And, um, yeah, what more can I say to that? I'll start crying. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> I'm really good. I'm really good at turning on the Roderick's. We're, we're trying to make this somewhat funny. Um, there, there is no cry. There is no crying in podcasting. All right. <laughs> if we must. All right. I, I think we have exhausted this subject. What's our call to action this week, Taylor? Ah, we didn't talk about it. Um. We never talk about anything. That's what makes this so much fun. Um, call to action this week, encourage somebody to get on my mailing list, whether they're an uh, aspiring author or, um, someone who just loves my books or you get on my mailing list. If you're not already on my mailing list, come interact with me, check it out, see if it's worth your time. If not, you can always unsubscribe, you know, I'll pretend that I'm not offended <laughs> and <laughs> I'll pretend that I didn't get my feelings hurt. Um, yeah, come check me out. That's our call to action. And if you're already on my mailing list, then, you know, tell somebody, tell somebody about how awesome I am and how their, their life would be so much better if I was in it. Speaking of how awesome you are, we have uh, another couple of iTunes reviews this week. So oh, let me oh, read oh, oh. those and you can feel better and uh, stop crying or whatever it is you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, please. Okay. Our first review is from J.P. Corgi. I think I'm pronouncing that right. The Taylor Stevens podcasts are interesting, informative, and entertaining. That's good. We, we're trying really hard to be entertaining. Trying. It's, it's fun to be able to listen to this author and hear her delight in discussing her craft. That is so awesome. And I know who that is. And I can't do a shout out over the air with the name because it's not in there. But thank you because I know who you are and um, you're wonderful. Okay, the second one is from Bruce in Portland, who I also happen to know has left some questions on Twitter that we will. Oh, that yes. Okay. So we will answer those questions the next time we do a Q and A show, which uh, is probably not too far away. Okay. All right. This is the stuff they don't teach in writing class. Awesome. Taylor Stevens loves her readers. <laughs> She understands that they're more interested in her stories than in the way she tells them. 
She is a self-taught writer, and much of what she's learned from writing and publishing a best-selling series is highly original. She and her co-host, Stephen Campbell, have joked about how many times the word fascinating pops up in describing her, (laughs) so we had to squeeze that in there. Each of the episodes I've listened to so far has prompted me to ask further questions. She really gets me thinking. And isn't that something that only really good writers and podcasts do? Wow. Thank you, Bruce. Yeah. And he's so good at pulling out quotes. Maybe we should be pulling out quotes from that, right? Yes, we should. We should. If we had a website for your podcast that was just the unnamed podcast website, which we could probably get that domain. (laughs) Uh, then we could post. Then, yes, we'd be pulling out Bruce's yes, books. Thank we would you definitely for that do amazing, that. amazing review. So appreciated. And Taylor, I think that's a wrap for this week. This okay, has been fun. Awesome. It has been fun, even when I got serious for a minute. <laughs> it, is, it is occasionally fun to get serious. So we will uh, talk again next week. All right. See you then. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.